a reading from the Gospel of Mark. And so John the baptizer appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John and were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate nothing but grasshoppers and wild honey. In the course of his preaching, John said, one more powerful than I is to come after me. I am not fit to stoop and untie his sandal straps. I have baptized you in water, but the one to come will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It was then that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan River by John. Immediately upon coming out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Then a voice came from the heavens, You are my child, my beloved. You are the delight of my life. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Baptism is a universal human experience. It's not just for the ones who grew up in church. Despite whatever stories might come to mind when we use the word baptism, whatever setting, whether it was your baptism or someone else's, baptism isn't owned by anybody. It's an image that goes far beyond just our tradition or our sacred stories. I'll show you what I mean. In the year 1994, the film The Shawshank Redemption was released in theaters across America. Quick aside, if you've managed to make it 26 years without seeing The Shawshank Redemption, there are spoilers ahead, so you might want to pause, go watch it, and then come back when you're ready. Okay. Shawshank tells the story of Andy Dufresne, a banker falsely accused of killing his wife and facing two consecutive life sentences in Shawshank State Penitentiary. That is, of course, the form of the story. The spirit of the story is that of a man forced to surrender one by one his illusions and assumptions about who he is, about how the world works, about what justice is, and what it really means to be a free human being. Near the end of the film, after a difficult time in Shawshank, some prisoners begin to speculate worriedly that Andy Dufresne is plotting to take his own life. But in the turn of the film, we discover that Dufresne has been plotting not his death, but his escape. Audiences watch a narrated sequence as Dufresne carves a narrow tunnel through a wall and breaks into an old sewage line. Then, with rain pouring and thunder crashing through the night, Dufresne crawls through 500 yards of unimaginable foulness before plunging with relief into an outlet, into a retaining pond. He wades and stumbles as though he were walking for the first time, and then, in a frenzy, he tears away the stained and threadbare uniform that once identified him, once reduced him to inmate 81433, and stands laid bare, 
baptized anew by the rain cascading down his body. He had crawled through a river of waste and come out clean on the other side. In some stories, stories like that, baptism is the climactic conclusion. It's, it's what it's all come to. In other stories, like the one I'm about to reference, it's the beginning, that which sets the ball rolling. Five years after Shawshank in 1999, the Wachowski siblings release The Matrix, and it was immediately hailed as a masterpiece. Near the beginning of the film, computer programmer Thomas Anderson, who goes by the alias Neo, sits down with a notorious cyber criminal who names a truth about Neo that no one else has been able to. You know something is wrong with this world, he offers. What you know you can't explain, but you can feel it. And with that, he offers Neo a choice. He can go back to his normal life, or he can learn the truth, something he can never unlearn. Neo chooses the latter, and then in this quick, intense sequence, he's strapped to a chair surrounded by whirring electronics. The music crescendo as a change begins to overtake his body, and he panics, and just as he approaches the brink of cardiac arrest, he opens his eyes and finds himself somewhere else. He is baptized beneath this primordial, embryonic fluid connected to some great machine by a myriad of umbilical computer cords. He emerges from this mechanical womb, choking and sputtering in an unfamiliar world. And he's pushed out into a blindingly clear light, a light his unused eyes have never seen. I don't think anybody can watch that scene without feeling uncomfortable. Because there is perhaps no other scene in cinematic history that puts the visceral and traumatic chaos of being born or born again of baptism on such full and graphic display. I could go on. My first language is film, but I'm sure I could name other works of literature or poetry or visual art, each illuminating this experience in a new way. The point is this. Baptism is a universal human experience. It's one we all know. It is an archetypal image, far bigger than just our tradition or our stories. In my first year of seminary, I remember asking in a class, where did baptism come from? It struck me as strange that such an integral part of our tradition didn't even show up until the beginning of the Gospels. And even then, John the baptizer seems to be using it very differently than we would. What does baptism even mean in a pre-Christian world, I thought? Buried with who in baptism? Raised to walk in newness like who? At the time, my professor talked me through about how it may have cropped up between the testaments, etc., etc., but looking back, the question now strikes me as funny, if not just arrogant. Birth and rebirth through the chaos of the waters. Like we've seen in these films, they show up everywhere in this written collective experience we call the Hebrew Scriptures. 
because they show up everywhere that people talk about what it means to be human. It didn't show up for the first time with John on the, on the Jordan. In the beginning, the Spirit of God sweeps across the face of the deep waters and begins to call forth new life from the chaos and the dark. Centuries later, after a violent struggle, the children of Israel cross on foot through the piled waters of the Sea of Reeds, baptized into a new life of liberation on the far shore. Following a long sojourn in the desert, the wanderers finally cross through those sacred waters of the Jordan River. And as they do, they are baptized anew as a rooted people, a new nation. Again, many years later, those same banks watch as Elisha, the apprentice, crossed through those same waters as his master was taken up into heaven. They watched as he was baptized anew, Elisha, the prophet. And then there's Naaman, the Syrian, the dignitary, the leper. He travels from afar to the waters of of the Jordan to be healed of his illness And as he dips in those waters seven times, healed of his pride and his leprosy, the scriptures tell us he emerged from his baptism with skin and mind like that of a newborn. Baptism is not a new image. It has deep roots. And it is onto this well-established stage that Jesus walks for his baptism. It's a truth that's recognized by every midwife, every doctor in the delivery room, every anxious parent that has ever stepped foot into a birthing room, that to have new life, we don't have a choice but to pass through the messy and chaotic waters of childbirth, our first baptism. And it's a truth recognized by every spiritually aware adult that we will pass through those waters again and again, that the process of being born happens many times in one lifetime. Baptism is a perfect image for what we all experience. But then there's the baptism of Jesus. It falls squarely into this grand human baptism story that we've been describing, but but it's kind of different. It offers us something a little bit new. John the baptizer stands in cool water in front of hot crowds waiting on the ancient banks of the Jordan River, the same banks that welcomed the first Judeans into their new lives. John gestures for the next person in line to come forward, a man unimpressive by any traditional standards with a faded robe brushed with sawdust. This man is known by some as the son of Mary, born into a stigma of what the ignorant might call illegitimacy, into a life of suspicion and untouchability that would pelt his worth, his his self-worth like stones. Yet the waters embrace him all the same. The baptizer raises his hand, placing it on the man's scraggly head as he's done so many times before, and he guides him down, down into the womb of the earth. Jesus, the son of Mary, plunges into a darkness that stings his eyes and a density that stops his breath. 
The waters touch every part of him, the parts everyone can see and the parts of which he's always been ashamed. He loses track of how long he's been below, of how long he's been entombed in the water. It might have been three seconds. It might have been three days. But then, when John pulls him back up into the dazzling light, Jesus gasps a long, deep breath that felt like his very first. And that's when he gets it. That's when he knows the Spirit. That's when he hears the voice for the first time. It's a voice that's been speaking to him as it speaks to all of us since our first birth, but has been drowned out by so many other calls and shouts. But now for Jesus, it's like an unignorable clap of thunder, strong and clear, and the voice says, you are my child, and you are beloved, just as you are. You are the delight of my life. And with that, like a wave realizing its true identity is the whole ocean, the Son of Mary becomes the Son of God. Baptism may be a universal human experience. But all of our births, all of our deaths and rebirths, they lead to this, to this knowing the truth about who we really are, to hearing that voice that Jesus heard, saying, you are beloved without condition. This Baptism Sunday, as we stand on the edge of the Lenten wilderness, may we see ourselves in this story. We will enter the desert to face ourselves, to face all of the false voices that tell us we are anything other than the beloved children of God, all the false voices that convince us we need to believe, think, or act otherwise in order to earn love. But like Andy Dufresne, like Neo, like Israel, Elijah, Naaman, John, or Jesus, we stand in a long human story of death and rebirth. And at the end of all of our deaths and all of our rebirths, we hear the truth of who we really are. The truth spoken like thunder on the day of Jesus' baptism. In the weeks to come, as we face the discomfort of the desert, May this voice be our sustenance. May it be the promise which calls us forward. You are my child, beloved, just as you are. You are the delight of my life. Amen.